2: Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips.
3: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. We are about... To embark on an incredible journey of transformation. Imagine this, a heart attack survivor who rose from her most vulnerable state to emerge as a true champion of heart health. Yes, you heard it right. From heart attack survivor to heart health hero, we have the inspiring transformation of nurse practitioner Deidre Arms. Over the next hour, she is going to share her extraordinary story that is bound to leave you inspired and informed. Believe it or not, heart attack isn't just an older people's disease. It can throw a curveball at anyone, at any age, at any time. Perhaps you have a family history of heart disease or stroke. Maybe you've been feeling shortness of breath, fatigue, or that persistent, bothersome heartburn. Well, it's time you press pause on everything else and just tune in right now because this is a story about resilience Hope and the unbreakable human spirit. Prepare to be awed as we not only have Deidre, but also one of her life saving doctors who just happens to be my amazing co host, Dr. John Phillips. John?
4: Oh, Kim. Well, you know, uh, very, very happy to to be joining you today. Uh, Happy Fourth of July. Um, Yeah, I've been wanting to have Deidre on the show for quite some time. Uh, her story's obviously pretty impressive, but actually, her um, I think mental fortitude uh, is is even more impressive. And so, I'm I'm really I agree excited that that she can share what happened to her the the road bumps. I played a very very small role in her care, but uh, I know I get to see her every six months or a year, and she's always. Sharing with me what new hurdles she's kind of overcome and what she's doing from an aerobic activity level or, you know, uh, professionally. So it's good. I'm, I'm really glad to, to have her on the show. So super stoked.
3: Me too. So let's get started with your moment of inspiration.
1: Sir John
4: Phillips, spectacular vascular moment of inspiration. Well, okay, so today is, what, July 1st? We have July 4th. I wanted to get a quote from uh, one of our our founding fathers, John Adams. He and uh, Thomas Jefferson, I think, and don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure they got together and decided that July 4th was the date that we would celebrate the independence of our country. And um, so this is a quote about friendship because I think – You know, it's a holiday. We get together with family and friends, and and we celebrate uh, the wonderful country that we live in. And so John Adams said, friendship is one of the most distinguishing glories of man. From this, I expect to receive the chief happiness of my life. And you know what, Kim? If you don't have friends and family, what do you have?
3: I completely agree. And you know what's interesting is just the relationship, the friendship that develops between a physician and a patient such as you and Deidre through this life-saving experience that you had. And it's one of those things that brings so much humanity to healthcare. Well, and it's such, it, such a good example, right, yeah, no, of yeah, what's you're, possible.
4: Yeah, you're, you're, you're right, because I don't know how much detail we'll get into. Well, hopefully we get into a lot of detail, but there are just there's some things that that happened with her care, uh, that that we we str- we as physicians, myself and the surgeon that operated on her struggled with a little bit. So, yes, um, it's always, um, you know, you just have to take a pause sometimes when you're taking care of patients and really decide, OK, what is in their best interest? What. It, what decision am I going to make that is going to hopefully benefit them the best? And right, sometimes right. You're, you're not sure if it's the right decision or the wrong decision. Uh, ultimately this, I believe what we decided to do turned out to be the right decision. I mean, I think Deidre's going to share <laughs> some of her accomplishments of late, but, uh, I remember her sending me a picture one time where she was on top of a mountain shortly after mm-hmm. her bypass surgery. So nine
3: uh, clear- days, in fact. Yeah. Okay, right,
4: exactly. And then and the other thing about friendship was before the show started, the two of you were, you know, like a knitting circle. I mean, just you were just chatting and chatting and chatting. And I thought you knew each other forever. And frankly, I think I just introduced the two of you like on Thursday.
3: Deidre is such a special person. And the fact that she's also Deidre, you're a nurse practitioner as well. So you're a clinician.
4: Yes. Yeah. Deidre, I am. welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us.
5: I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me, John. Kim, thank you so much for this opportunity to share my story and uh, talk to other people about cardiovascular.
3: And I think it also speaks to just what John with the quote that you had mentioned. It was so perfect because, yes, Dieter and I became fast friends yesterday. I think we talked as soon as she called me. We were on the phone for almost two hours. We talked about her story. We talked about our passion for functional medicine and holistic approaches to cardiovascular health, and also our favorite topic: olive oil and the power of olive oil. <laughs>
4: <laughs> now, Kim, do you have the same microphone as I have now? I think so. Awesome. So,
3: mine's a lot prettier than yours. Yours is pretty. Mine's beautiful, this shiny blue.
4: Yes, fantastic. All right. I'm sorry. Let's should we should we get rolling?
3: I think we should. And I, I'm going to let you get started and kick things off with Deidre.
4: All right. So so Deidre, we were just, um, you and I, before the show started, uh, reminiscing uh, about the first time I met you, and that was January 18th, uh, 2020. So before we dive into your admission to our hospital in Columbus, tell us a little bit about your background, what medical problems, if any, that you had. And then, kind of, what were the events that led up to ultimately? I think you got transferred to us, if I remember correctly, right?
5: Yes, from one of the smaller uh, hospitals.
3: Yep, but here you are, Deidre. You're active. You know, you have a family history, correct, of I cardiovascular strong, strong disease. Strong family history. And so here you are, you're doing everything in your power, you're exercising, you're eating right, you're, you're even a nurse practitioner. So you have the the medical background as well. And you're doing everything you can to reduce your risk of a heart attack and stroke.
5: Yes, I um, at 44 had like this episode where um, I like passed out wasn't feeling well, had went to see um, a provider and they didn't think it was anything, Um, ended up in the ER and admitted then, and um, I did see a cardiologist then, and I did see somebody who, um, they did a stress test, it was seven minutes long, I couldn't do it, so what was happening to me was that I used to like ride my bike ten to thirty two miles a day, and it was something I could do effortlessly, and it was something I enjoyed doing. And then I all of a sudden couldn't even go to the end of my street, um, and I was telling like people like as loud as I could, "I am short of breath, <laughs> like I can't do this anymore. Like it's an activity that I no longer can do." And then um, after that, it just You know, was chalked up to this is your where you are now. We just have to move forward. So I did. I moved forward. And then uh, two years later was when uh, the big incident happened.
3: And coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we're going to dig more into what doctors were saying and how a nurse practitioner was not even heard by her doctors and nothing was done despite A history, a family history of heart disease. Stay with us right here on our very special Save My Piggies edition of the Heart of Innovation.
1: My piggies your life your
4: limb your story with host dr john phillips and kim mcnicholas welcome back everybody thank you for joining us on this fourth uh, of july edition of save my piggies uh, so we are talking with Deidre arms uh one of our um one of my patients and she is uh, a survivor of heart disease and um Prior to us kind of getting into when we met, Deidre, you were mentioning to us that you had been having some some shortness of breath and you'd had some testing done and kind of felt like maybe you weren't being heard. Can you explain that a little bit more to us? Because it's not not uncommon for patients to not have a a diagnosis missed, but just kind of um, maybe overlooked and at your young age. You know, maybe we weren't thinking that or the docs you were seeing weren't thinking that this was actually a cardiovascular issue.
5: So I think, um, you know, I had this long history of hormonal imbalances with endometriosis. So you get kind of put in that category of women with, um, you know, hormone problems. And I had went to my primary care And he just was like, I'm going to send you to the ER. I don't know why you're feeling like this. And the first ER that I went to, I um, had, like, a slightly elevated troponin. The nurse said to me when she was discharging me, she said, you need to go someplace else and get checked out. And so um, that that was when I was 44. And so I did go to another hospital. They admitted me got me connected with cardiology. Um, They ran a stress test on me. And then, I i mean, I was admitted for 24, 48 hours. um, And they didn't overtly find anything wrong. uh, But I missed six weeks of work. I couldn't get my head up off a pillow. I felt terrible. Um, I just couldn't couldn't live my life again and then I found another primary care because I was like I want somebody to listen to me like I know they think I'm just a female and that they're dismissing this and And here
3: you are a nurse practitioner who is specializing in women's health and you would think that they would have had enough respect for you and you had the credibility to be able to say no doctor I'm immersed in this every day it is not an issue of women's health It's not an issue of these hormones. There is something else wrong. I did not pass my stress test. My troponin levels are raised.
5: What's going on?
4: Did did you you not pass? Did you have an abnormal stress test?
5: Well, I only could do it for seven minutes, but they said I had a robust Uh, response, and even though I couldn't do it any longer than the seven minutes because I got extremely short of breath, and I was like, just let me lay down. I felt like I was going to pass out. That was kind of the end of that. I know that uh, the person I seen wanted to do a cath at that time, like he had talked to me about that, Um, but then uh, my insurance wouldn't allow it because of my age. (laughs) so
4: Yeah, so I mean, a lot of times... We talk about this with our patients. The females present a little bit differently than males with respect to chest pain or you know, pain that may be related to cardiovascular disease or, or blocked arteries. Uh and, and oftentimes and I would imagine the stress test that they did, there was probably some imaging. And I tell patients that they're usually right about eighty 85 to 90 percent of the time so 10 percent we can miss something or 10 percent you know we overcall something and again at your age i mean when we talk about premature cardiovascular history we're very specific about particularly like a male first degree relative having cardiovascular disease before the age of 55 and and was that was that your father because my
5: father he passed away having an open heart at 52 and then i had multiple women
4: so so you kind of you, you did tick off a couple of check boxes and it sounds like initially they wanted to do the right thing with the catheterization but we're running into this more and more uh, with insurance companies and and I don't want to get too much on a soapbox but oftentimes we have to push them pretty aggressively to to get the tests that the patients need. And it sounds like, you know, obviously they weren't able to do that for you.
3: And, you know, it, I would imagine that, and I would assume that if someone's admitted through an emergency room, that all tests are fair game, but there is, as you said, a big push, especially when someone is first diagnosed for, with heart disease, frontline treatment, because there is so much evidence behind it is medication and cardiac rehab prior to any catheterization
4: right Right. so what what, you know when someone comes in with stable symptoms meaning they're not coming in with what we call an acute coronary syndrome so ongoing chest pain lab work that suggests there's some uh, lack of blood flow or ischemia to the heart uh, abnormal ECG things of that nature so in a stable situation when we do a catheterization for a patient and we find a blockage the stents do two things they relieve your symptoms if we got the right blockage and then they fix a defect seen on a stress test it's important to know that stents in this situation do not make people live longer they don't prevent heart attacks and so that's we have medications that we can use but people get better relief if they have a major blockage and and we put a stent in now if you're coming in with ongoing chest pain abnormal blood work ekg things of that nature and you have an emergent or urgent catheterization, that's kind of a different story because obviously there's a sense of urgency, things are unstable, and if there's blockages, we recommend you know stenting or bypass or things of that nature. So we want to get better blood flow to the patient very quickly in those situations.
3: Right, and sometimes the patients don't even know themselves when they're I- experiencing some of these symptoms, especially women, right, Deidre? I mean, you ended up, you didn't pursue anything further beyond that you because you know we as women sometimes we just are like we just have to persevere we just have to persevere we have to push through um maybe I'm just doing too much maybe that's why I'm more fatigued maybe I can't do as much as I thought I could so you continued on for two years I did for two years and then how um... in the world did you get into this perseverance mindset and push through what seemed to be an acute heart situation um, at that time. And maybe, John, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but if she's sitting here blacking out, passing out, her troponin levels are elevated, wouldn't you think that there would have been, would you call that acute?
4: Well, there's, there's a lot of reasons uh, that are non-cardiac to have people have elevated troponin. Troponin is a okay. very sensitive and... Uh, tests for damage to the heart muscle itself the individual cells but there are other things that can cause it and i would have to imagine that you know typically in these situations the patients in the emergency room their an ekg is done they're evaluating their symptoms they do what we call serial troponin tests and we're looking to see if it's rising i I don't know, Deidre, if yours was just kind of mildly elevated and what we call flat, you know, just didn't change. Just kind of stayed uh, there. Yeah. That. I mean, and that's, and that, so it was probably deemed a non cardiac elevation of the troponin. And, um, you know, it, you were just kind of sitting on a, a, a blockage that decided to, what, I guess two years later, kind of rear its head. And, um, you know, we've and got. What clear, was-
3: what was life like for you? How did you adapt? You were no longer riding your bike suddenly 10 to 32 miles a day.
5: Um, I would take what I could get out of my body. I just had to adjust my sail. I, I, would take <laughs> it I love that. If I could Deep go I a mile. I could, I'd go a mile. Some days I would get five. Um, every once in a while I could go a little bit more. Um, and... That's just what I did. I just based it on what what I could do that day, and I, I didn't try to stress myself out about it.
3: So. And so at what point did things, it seems like everything kind of leveled out for a while, and then you experienced, yes, and then you experienced a sudden decline. Bring us to that moment when you started thinking, you know what, here we go again.
5: So it's two years to the month. So it's January again, Um always a hateful month for me now <laughs> but I was feeling really fatigued I would like go see a patient I would remember walking to like our office manager's office and I was leaning on her door and I was like I'm just so tired I just can't wait for the weekend and she's like that's just not like you and I I probably said it 50 times that week and it was a Thursday I've seen all my patients in the office and then I Um, do instructing at a a college and or university, and I went there and I did that, and I was kind of like blacking out a little bit in there and just not feeling right, but I was like, I'll get home, I'll lay down, I'm just super exhausted, and um, woke up at 3 a.m. with heartburn. I've never had heartburn in my life, but um, I was like rummaging through the house looking for something. I took Tums. I just couldn't lie back. Every time I go to lie back, it was just... I didn't feel well Um, by 5 a.m. I drove up to the pharmacy and bought Pepsi, thinking that I could reduce this heartburn or feel, you know, feel any different. Uh, I got up that morning, did some things and a good friend of mine, I was supposed to meet her for lunch and I thought she never cancels me. I'm just going to go see her on the way there. My right arm was hurting my ear was ringing and when i got into the restaurant and i was sitting with her i was kind of telling her about what was going on and she has
3: coming up right here on the heart of innovation Ooh, we're gonna leave everyone wondering what happens next so stay with us right here on our very special save my piggies episode of the heart of innovation don't go away Life and limb could depend on it.
0: Save my piggies, your life, your limb, your story with host, Dr. John Phillips and Kim
4: McNicholas. Welcome back, everybody. So before we get back to Deidre, there was a, a, a fact that I wanted to share with everybody. So every 33 seconds, someone in the United States dies from cardiovascular disease Half of those people die from a heart attack. And and Deidre was telling us before we went to break that she was actively, I think, having a heart attack while she was at lunch with her friend coming, bringing us full circle from the quote that I gave from John Adams about friendship. She valued friendship so much and, and had to go see her friend, Kim, who evidently never cancels on her. And despite having an active MI, Deidre says, I'm not canceling. I'm at lunch or wherever you were. So, what, what is going through your head at this time right now? We can laugh about it, right? But at the, uh, I imagine you were kind of worried, right? I mean, you have a medical background. But-
5: I was feeling really bad. But I also knew Kim was a nurse practitioner with a huge cardiovascular uh, background. So I thought if... Anybody could help me today, it would be her. <laughs> so I got up, walked to the restroom during our lunch. I sat back down. I was like, Kim, it hurts clear to my, through my chest to my back. And she literally threw her fork down and was like, that's it. We're going to the hospital right now and wrapped the meal up and took me uh, to the ER. And um, she was so adamant about my care the whole time I was there that day until they transferred me to. Uh, your hospital. So she was there like saying, no, she's already tried this. No, this has happened. This is what I'm seeing. Like I know her from outside of this event. So they're they're still
3: in that moment almost, were they denying that you were on the verge of a heart attack? What was happening at that point? What were they saying that she had to keep saying no, 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 no?
5: Uh, They thought it was indigestion at first. So... (laughs) But, but was, you had your
4: I'm trying to remember the story, because the other issue is you picked like the worst day to go into a hospital, which is a Friday, um, because which, you know, that means you'll get transferred that or if you have to get transferred, you can get transferred. We only do emergencies typically on the weekends. And you were they, I think they kind of got you stabilized, didn't they?
5: To some yeah. degree. Uh, to some degree. They had done a scan and when they lay me back to do that scan, that's when I was like after that I couldn't even move backwards. I couldn't lie down. It hurt so bad. It, I was just feeling this shortness of breath. And I was just sobbing at that point. And I was just like, this is awful. I can't breathe when I lie back. All I can do is lean forward. Um, and they did get me like stabilized and moved. Uh, but that night like what does that mean
3: that they get you stabilized so you're sitting here on the verge of a heart attack and john do they know that she's on the verge of a heart attack and they what do they do in a sense to stabilize without going in and doing a heart cath or did they completely they brushed off the whole idea that it had anything to do with possible blocked arteries in the coronary region
4: So usually what we do when we talk about stabilizing a patient who is having, so we differentiate between what's called an ST elevation MI, so this is on the EKG, ECG, versus a non-ST elevation MI. So if someone has a, quote, true heart attack, the artery is usually blocked 100%, we see very specific changes on the ECG. That triggers a rapid response patients transferred goes right to the catheterization laboratory if someone comes in who is having a non-ST elevation mi so this is now as i mentioned before we talked about a stable situation now we've pivoted to an unstable situation where the blood work is abnormal the patient's having ongoing symptoms um, the ecg shows some th- changes but it's not a quote st elevations or has st elevations we try to stabilize the patient with medications so we give anticoagulants we give aspirin we give nitroglycerin often either on you know the chest wall or through the iv to lower blood pressure get the patient we try to get the patient chest pain free knowing that we need to probably do a catheterization within the first 24 hours um, but again that that issue on the weekends Oftentimes, when we see the patient, meaning they're transferred to our hospital because we're a, a tertiary care center, the, if the patient's still having symptoms despite the medications, then that triggers, okay, we should take them to the cath lab and, and figure out what's going on. If their symptoms are getting better, then we kind of, cool, quote, cool them off. And depending on how they are, well, we can potentially even wait to to Monday. Um, so, it, it and, I, and I'm, I don't remember exactly. Deidre but I, I'm you and I met I believe Saturday morning right
5: Saturday morning yeah
3: so coming up right here on the heart of innovation we're going to hear about that encounter and how John was called in on his day off A Saturday, I was on morning. call
4: I was on call yeah so you're on there.
3: call you were <laughs> home you were hanging out right you know maybe I'll be able to hang out with my family nope gotta go in and save a life so stay with <laughs> us and we'll Have more of Dieter's story and how John helped to save her life. So stay with us. Hi, I'm Kim McNicholas, certified health coach and CEO of The Way to My Heart. With this week's Medical Notepad, sponsored by Cardiovascular Systems Incorporated's Patient Advocacy Campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Let's talk about poop. I have to be blunt with this one. If you have high cholesterol, you may have a liver production issue that requires your physician to order statins. But you might also have a cholesterol reabsorption issue where your body isn't flushing out the excess LDL cholesterol, the so-called bad cholesterol, fast enough. Men, on average, should have three to four bowel movements a day. And women should have two to three bowel movements daily. Soluble fiber can help. It's always best to increase soluble fiber with dietary changes, but some may have sensitivity to fiber, and therefore it's important to discuss supplementation with a dietitian. Ask your doctor for a referral to a dietitian if you have high cholesterol to talk about what dietary and supplemental changes are right for you. With this week's Medical Notepad, I'm Kim McNicholas. Remember, the advice and views offered in this series are for educational and informational purposes only. Always check with your healthcare provider before acting on any information provided here to see if it's right for you. If you have high cholesterol and are at risk of plaque buildup in your arteries, go to standagainstamputation.com to learn about peripheral artery disease and how it is an indicator of cardiovascular health. For real-time advocacy and support, go to theweightofmyheart.org.
0: Save My Piggies, Your Life, Your Limb, Your Story with host Dr. John Phillips and Kim McNicholas.
3: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Just before the break, we were hearing from Deidre Arms. She is a nurse practitioner who was on the verge of a heart attack. She had gone into doctors two years prior with an episode, was not diagnosed, brushed off as possibly having asthma or some sort of hormonal issue that might have been leading or triggering her fatigue. Fatigue, her shortness of breath and other symptoms. And then fast forward, she ends up with a feeling of heartburn. She has pain down her arms, in her chest. And she was with a friend of hers, uh, also a nurse practitioner, who rushed her to the hospital, went to a community hospital. They got her stabilized. And then she transferred to a larger tertiary center, Ohio Health, with Dr. John Phillips. So, Talk about your encounter, John. At what point were you called in to care for Deidre?
4: So it was a it was a Saturday, and we're we come in in the mornings to do rounds, see new consults, and uh, Deidre was one of our new patients that that we saw. I can't remember if it was my team, meaning I have a team of uh, interns and residents, or if it was one of our nurse practitioners who we who we got the consult. But uh, I think. Pretty quickly, and Deidre Deidre fills in the gaps here big time for me because I I forget, but pretty quickly we realized that she was not doing well and um, we needed to at least do a heart catheterization, take a look and kind of see what was going on. I think we had an echocardiogram or we're getting one and that is the ultrasound of the heart that kind of tells us. It helps us kind of triage patients who are we think are having a heart attack, but not that ST elevation one that I speak of. And if the heart pump isn't working right, then that, I think, adds more credence to, hey, we've got to get good in and take a look. We think there's a blocked artery of some sort. And Deidre, I don't, I don't know if you remember like our conversation, but I, I'm pretty sure we decided pretty quickly that we had to do the catheterization, right?
5: Yeah, you turned off that uh, nitro, and my blood pressure shot up, and within 30 seconds, I was signing papers and heading to the OR.
4: Yeah, so that's the other thing, too, because we were – the nice thing about what was going on with you is you had, quote, blood pressure to work with. A lot of times, if the heart is very weak, the blood pressure goes down, and we can't get patients' pain under control with medications because the medications drop the blood pressure – that, too, probably speaks to the the notion that you had built up some kind of your own little natural bypasses to this blockage. But you had a lot of and your symptoms got worse when your blood blood pressure went up. And so what we did was we brought Deidre to the catheterization suite. And we can measure pressures inside the heart with our catheter and her, the pressures inside of her heart were very elevated, meaning that the heart wasn't working as well as it could. The nitroglycerin helps lower that pressure. And, um, you know, we can use some other medicines to kind of remove fluid from the system. And then we did, we looked at your heart arteries and you had kind of a complex blockage going down what's called the left anterior descending artery. It's, um, you know, kind of known in the lay press as the widow maker, but it, you also had a, a, a branch vessel that was, you know, impinged on too. And uh, that's when we, I decided to call our, our surgeon, uh, my friend, Dr. Jeff Blossom. in because again, it was noon. And as we were talking during the break, you got lucky in the sense that this happened during kind of bankers hours where we have a team available and we have the surgeon available. Things are a lot different at three in the morning. Um, And so we were able to get kind of get you stabilized. We got some fluid off and and I think your symptoms got better. And we decided Dr. Blossom and I decided that um, we would send you for, you know, you'd have bypass surgery, maybe Monday, but then we said, okay, if, if things don't get better or if things get worse, he'll take you if, if need be that night or, or Sunday. So I guess in your mind, because a lot of, a lot of patients they don't come to when they come to our cath lab they want a stent if they have to have one they don't raise their hand like hey I want open heart surgery right, um, right. but the this the where your blockage was and how young you were and the, and I made the decision that we could get you feeling okay with medication the most durable treatment in my opinion would be the, this this type of the, the bypass But, uh, you know, you obviously probably just wanted to feel better and didn't really care, like, how we got you feeling better. Or maybe not.
5: No, I felt so bad and just was in so much pain. And I remember you saying Dr. Blossom's name. You told them to call, and I remember hearing his name, and I just lost it hearing all that because my aunt, he saved my aunt's life. Like, she had a five-artery bypass. So I knew what was about. You don't consult him (laughs) for just anything Normal. So I knew (laughs) it was
3: going through your mind at what point. So Dr. Blossom comes in and he's consulting with you. Your symptoms are worsening. So I imagine if you had it on Sunday, you were planning for Monday. Things were progressing pretty quickly and they needed to urgently get in there and get this done.
4: Well, so, I mean, we had you feeling better, and Dr. Blossom was in the cath lab with me. We had the conversation, and we decided, like, if we couldn't get you feeling better, I probably was just going to go in and and stent it, but we were able to get her feeling better. We got her blood pressure under control. We got fluid off. The heart cooled off a little bit, and then I think you did, like, overnight did okay, and then we kind of both ended up seeing you at a pretty similar time on Sunday morning, and you know you were kind of maybe getting a little bit worse, and that's when he decided to to take you. Is that a fair assessment?
5: Well, I knew the night before it was happening. Sunday at six a.m. I didn't know that because he came into that room, and that was probably after conversations with you. But he came back in to see me, and he was like, um, "You know, we're we're going to go in the morning at six a.m." So I kind of was. I had a few hours to prep my mind <laughs> for that. <laughs> um and see my family and uh talk to my kids and all of that Well, yeah i mean
4: like just share that uh, uh, if you don't mind that um, the emotions that you're going through because yeah. you know we i've seen bypass surgery I've, obviously i do stenting and and i you know i imagine you're kind of thinking you know i i want this to go well but if this you know this this could be it right
5: Yeah, your mind plays, uh, huge tricks on you. I can remember in the waiting room about to go back to surgery and, you know, they separate you from your family. So you're being willed down. And all I thought is the last things I may see are these numbers overhead these doors. And that really sucks. (laughs) And like, that's what I was thinking. Like this could be it. I knew I'd lost my grandfather during open heart. So I knew the risk was there. I knew it as a medical profession. Um, but I also was like, you know, I, I got stuff to live for. So w- with everything in me, I will fight this. Um, and then I just trusted in the team that I had, which I was phenomenal. Like, you know, I had you, I had Blossom, I had like incredible nursing staff. Like, I don't know, couldn't have been more cherry picked.
3: <laughs> you, you didn't realize kind of until that point, just how sick you were. And it was, right. And and that must have been so disconcerting and so, wow, something that most of us can't even imagine.
5: Um, It it was hard when the night before, Dr. Blossom said, I couldn't take a shower and wash my hair because I was too sick. Because Thursday, I worked a full patient schedule, was at the university, stayed up till 11 doing labs. And I was like, what? I just lived a normal life like two days ago.
4: Okay, you're right. So... We've only got, we've got two minutes left in this segment and like four. Now we got to talk about you after the the new Deidre who had open heart surgery. So, you know, surprised everybody. She survived and, you know, she's, and, but so tell us real you know, we want to hear that story. Like you, you, you woke up from surgery, you got out of the hospital, you said, I am going to make some changes or I'm going to do some, do things that maybe I didn't even think about doing before this. Right.
5: Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Like, it started with me. I had to work on me and had to do the things I wanted to do. I was in cardiac rehab, the only female and the only person without white hair. So uh, I felt a little like the outlier in that situation. And I I had great support. So I started gradually. Like, at first, I couldn't even walk to my neighbor's driveway. And that was discouraging. I was like, this is crazy. Especially for a 40-something. Yeah, 46, couldn't walk down a standard driveway. And every day I just, a little bit more, a little bit more, started hiking um, locally. And I would get short of breath, got myself one of those Apple watches because I was told about the AFib that could come with this. I didn't want to, <laughs> want to pay attention to that. And uh, if I felt like I was getting short of breath, I'd stop and I just kept conditioning myself to do more and more Um Yeah, and I think nine months later I climbed uh, Mount LeConte, and I did send John a picture of that because I was super proud.
3: Oh, nine (laughs) months later! Nine months
5: later. Yeah, because it's a it's the highest mountain in Tennessee, so it took me some time to condition for that one.
3: Well, coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we're going to hear how she has now turned her life into becoming a heart health hero and championing for others. So stay with us right here on our Save My Piggies edition of the Heart of Innovation.
2: Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.
4: So we're wrapping up the show here, our last segment. We've got only a few minutes left. Deidre, just nine months later, you climbed the highest mountain in Tennessee and you haven't looked back, have you?
5: No, uh-uh. no. Just out there trying to be my best, do my best. Uh, and I even changed the way I practice. Uh, I decided to do functional medicine and kind of go out in, on a limb and do something unconventional, so I could spend more one-on-one time with patients, help them get to the root cause. Uh, so during that this time, I've done a lot of that, a lot of education for myself, but. Um, I tell patients, my patients, like health is like an onion and you got to peel away the layers till you're the healthiest version of yourself. And so at first when you're, you know, in my situation, there were all these things they wanted uh, me to do differently. And a lot of that I was already doing. And I can't change my genetics, and and there are things I could change. But it was one thing at a time that I did. And um, some days we're good at it, and some days we're not. But listening to your body is what I would. My advice to everybody would be, you know, take take it one step at a time.
3: And what I love about Deirdre is that she is taking a, a very progressive approach to heart health and helping others with functional medicine and, and really encouraging people to peel back those layers because there is so much that can put someone at risk for heart disease. But also, there are real ways, tangible ways, in which you can mitigate your risk for a heart attack or stroke or with peripheral artery disease in your legs with those arteries amputation and that's what you're doing you're helping people to mitigate with supplements with diet like specifically through advanced blood work
5: yes advanced blood work with uh talking to people about movement their sleep their stress um adverse childhood events that play into that. I think I asked John the last thing I said, do they ever talk to people about adverse childhood events uh, when they come in with heart disease because of the inflammatory markers that throw off this cascade? And there's just so many things to look at, things that we can do and things that are out of our control. But
4: yeah, And, and there, there are certain medications that, that we need to have you on lowering cholesterol and, and things of that nature, monitoring your blood pressure. But there's also, like you said, a holistic approach, exercise. If, if there's nothing that anyone learns from this 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 podcast or this show about obviously your motivation and determination, but exercise wins every time. And you just said you swam like two miles or something or two for two hours before.
5: Yeah, I was over swimming for the last couple hours before, before this and just floating, kicking my legs, was swimming in a way that it didn't get my hair wet. <laughs> awesome. I love
3: that. And um, thank you so much, Deidre, for sharing your inspiring story and for offering so much courage. Um, quickly, what is your your social media handle so people can follow you? Uh, Desire Wellness Group. Fantastic. And John, can you please just close out with final words here on how Deidre's situation also changed you, and how you practice.
4: Well, I mean, again, I—it's hard to sum it up in ten seconds, but. There are every patient we want to be like Deidre in the sense that, yes, something happened. Life is a book, new chapter. And with that new chapter, change your life, change your identity, really focus on your health, exercise, exercise, take your medications. And she's done that to the you know nth degree. And I just hope she can inspire other patients to continue to have that motivation to want to get better and healthy and live longer
2: and functional life. You've been listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist
4: This show is distributed by the Innovators Network. For more information and other great shows and content, visit theinnovators.network.